Hey there, I'm Joanne Tambrakis, and this is Marketing, Mindfulness, and Martinis. Unfiltered conversations, or as I like to say, opinions shaken, not stirred, on what's changing and what's not in business and in life as we enter into the next normal. So pour yourself your beverage of choice, and let's get to it. The woman I am about to introduce is the co-owner and executive director for Improvolution. She has been an actor in musical theaters, traveled all over the world. She has been a background player for SNL for over 16 years now, which is just unbelievable. An adjunct professor at Pace, but most importantly, Rebecca Stewart was once my bartender at Cheska <laughs> on the Upper West Side, back when I was a regular, back when we could sit at bars, and somewhere <laughs> along the line, we became friends. <laughs> Welcome to the podcast, Rebecca. Hello, Joanne. Hello. So pleased to be here. It is kind of funny how you meet people in your life, and then you're like, I don't know exactly when I went from just being on one side of the bar, and then we became friends, but it happened. So we have a lot to discuss about your company, Improv, mm-hmm. Improvolution, excuse me, and how you're managing during all during the pandemic. But yeah. let's start with where you're from. Sure. Um, I am, well, I was originally an Air Force brat, born at an Air Force base in California, at Northern California. And then my whole family is in Cincinnati. So I was raised in Cincinnati, Ohio, Skyline Chili and Grater's Ice Cream. And uh, then I was, I went to school at Wright State University in Dayton, Ohio. And from there, I went to Europe immediately. And I um, danced with the uh, Nick Dance Dance Theater and Denmark and Copenhagen. And then I came back to New York for the first time because Denmark kicked me out. And <laughs> they kicked you out. <laughs> <laughs> it, well, it's interesting because I came to New York and then I met all these Danes and they're like, oh, you should have just lied. Um, but uh, I called my best friend from college, Keith, and I was like, I need a place to stay. And so he's like, and so he was my first roommate in New York. And uh, then I went back to London um, because I had met through my Danish boyfriend, my best friend who was Australian. And so I lived with her in London for a little while and then moved to New York for the for the real thing and got into musical theater. I mean, that's what I had studied in college anyway, dance and musical theater. I toured Europe and then I toured the States with different musicals like uh, Cabaret and Chicago and a funny thing happened on the way to the forum. And I had a whole French year of Can Can and Gigi, which was really fun. And then I, um, basically settled in New York. When you're on tour, it's it's a very interesting life. If you tour well, it's an amazing life because you get to see places and you get to get paid. Uh, and then I settled in New York. And the thing also was that I found out, and I try to tell my students, really think about this if you're touring, don't have a boyfriend or a girlfriend because you have <laughs> to pay rent to them. So I probably could have afforded a really nice apartment had I not had to send rent home for seven years of my life. 
And so then I started to, along with my boyfriend, uh, Danny, we, he asked me, do you want to learn how to ballroom dance? Because we wanted to do something together or learn how to improvise. And he said, he made the decision. He's like, you already know how to ballroom dance. Uh, let's do something together. So his best friend uh, was the lotto guy. Do you know who the lotto guy is? Lotto guy, help me here. I, I uh, kind of think I do. This week's lottery is four million dollars and thirty-two. Oh, uh, so he's he was in front of all of the bodegas, you know, with um, the uh, the number and his the top of his head, sort of like Kilroy was here. And he was my first improv teacher, Ralph Buckley. And so he taught me the term yes and, which I'm sure you and I will get into. And so then I was, in a, yeah, I was in a bunch of improv troops, musical improv troops. And we decided one of my improv troops, um, Codependent Theater Company, which are still some of my best friends, um, Cody Co. is what we went by. We uh, auditioned for SNL and to do background. And so we all made it. The guy, the casting director, uh, Josh, uh, hired us all. And um, it was Paris Hilton. That was our first show. And we all did it. And I decided to pay the dues for SAG-AFTRA. At that time, it was just AFTRA. Um, SAG and AFTRA hadn't blended yet. And so uh, I've been doing it ever since. And I met my business partner uh, through SNL. Through SNL, all roads leads, all roads lead back to SNL. <laughs> Could you just tell everyone what a background player is? Because I'm not. I mean, I know what you do, but I don't know if everyone knows what that means. Yes, of course. So background is anybody that's in. They're an extra. So I know Ricky Gervais does a whole show about extras, and some of it's very true, and some of it's uh, fabricated. But they're the they're the people that are at the airport or they're the people that are the bartender in, you know, on stage or they're the people that are walking through the park in a scene. So it's anybody, it's an actor um, that is hired to do extra work. So you never actually get to break out in song as, and, and tap into any of your musical talents. I did get to do, uh, I did get to sing once with um, a group we were called the Peacock Players, of course, Peacock NBC. And we honestly, this was in 2006. So it was relatively like when I had just started, I was hired to be part of uh, the Peacock Players. And we got to say live from New York, it's Saturday night. So I have said it. Yeah, that that really was the best. We should have started like that. Live from our respective <laughs> apartment, Joanne and Rebecca. Um, yeah. So, can you tell us what improv is? Again, these are things that I know, but I don't know if everyone understands it. And and there, I know there are different variations. There's the Groundlings. There's Second City in Chicago, and and you yes. and your your business partner have created your own version of that, which I think is very true to what improv is, but. Absolutely. Absolutely. So improv is an art form that um, we can go all the way back to uh, Commedia dell'arte. Uh, the American version started, I like to say, with this woman, Viola Spolin. She was working with inner city at-risk youth in the 1930s and 40s. And 
she was teaching these youth who a lot of them were immigrants. A lot of them's language was not English as a first language. And so she would teach them theater games. And she basically taught them two, two experiences in the, in these games where if you can play a confident character, then you can be that person. If you can play a character that supports their partner, then you can become that person. I don't always like to use fake it till you make it, but it's along those same lines of really believing in the person that you can be and living in that unknown space fearlessly. And so her son, Viola's son, was Paul Sills. And Paul Sills started Second City, which was the first improv school in the U.S., and then from there, about 10 years later, and so people like Mike Nichols and Elaine May and Del Close were all uh, part of the committee that was right previous to Second City. Um, and uh, Del Close is, uh, his ideals are founded in like UCB, which is, T, uh, which is Amy Poehler, um, Upright Citizens Brigade. And um, the Pit, which is the People's Improv Theater, these are all New York-based schools. And the Magnet um, is a school in New York. And so they're based on um, this principle of, of teaching the Herald, which is a type of improv format. So going back to Chicago... Um, about 10 years later, uh, some people went to San Francisco and then, um, uh, Gary Austin broke off from them and he started the groundlings in LA and LA, uh, the groundlings is a, um, character based improv, which I can explain in a second, but people like Will Ferrell, Lisa Kudrow, Melissa McCarthy, Kristen Wiig, uh, Pee Wee Herman, is also wow. a groundling. Um, uh, oh gosh, what's her name? Um, Elvira. Oh, was a groundling, and wow. so you look at all of these characters that come from improvisational exercises. And uh, there's two types of improv in my book. There's, and I always uh, when I explain this to my students, there's the plot improv, which is what uh, the Del Close, Harold, um, Amy Poehler, which is A happens, then B happens, then C happens. It's horizontal. It's on a horizontal plane, and it's plot. And then if you turn your, if you take your pen and you turn it vertically and you, and you go vertically, what does this character think? What's their point of view? Um, what do they look like? What do they sound like? Then you can place that character into any plot. And I was initially, I was, sorry, I was initially educated in more of a plot-based improv and I always wanted to learn the groundlings. And, um, this is going sort of in how I met my business partner. I was a bartender, like any, (laughs) like any good actor or, um, or dancer in New York city. And, uh, one day I was waiting on this uh, gentleman. And he said, how do I know you? And I looked at him cause yeah, like what a line. And I was like, I looked at him, but he looked familiar. And I thought, how do I know you? And he goes, Oh, you're in my sketch this week. And he was, uh, his name's Kent Sublette. He was Kristen Wiggs head writer. 
So a lot wow. of times um, at SNL, you come in as a, a pair or a trio. Like there's a writer and there's a performer. Um, a lot of times that happens. And so Kent and Kristen were um, together and we started talking about the groundlings because that's where they were educated in improv. And I said, I always wanted to learn that philosophy, but I'm an East Coast girl, so I'm not moving there. And he said, Kent said, well, you don't have to because Holly Mandel, not Howie, Holly Mandel. <laughs> she must get a lot. <laughs> uh, she does. Not so much. Well, I guess he's more popular again. Um, so yes, he, he, she does get it. Uh, so Holly is in New York. And I was like, well, I have to... I have to meet her. You need to introduce me. Uh, I'm pushy like that sometimes. And Holly would always say I am like that. And so he introduced me at the finale party that year, which was a Will Ferrell finale. And um, so the ice skating rink is in, in Rock Center is always um, – uh, during this during the summer it's like a cafe and so they always snl always rents it out and has a big party for the finale and me being an extra at that point you're not really allowed <laughs> to come to the party <laughs> but i am friendly enough that i snuck in with one of the uh one of the backstage guys and if so ask, I walk- if you ask you will receive <laughs> exactly exactly um And so then I walked up to her and I was like, you need to train me. So she did. And then we became friends and then we became business partners in 2014. And it's, it's very interesting because we are such good friends and sometimes, uh, you know, like any business partners, you're going to conflict. We always work it out. Always. It's not her way at the end. It's not my way. It's the third way. And we always find. Do you do you you plot out an improv exercise when you're having issues to work it through? Well, we walk our talk. So Mm -hmm. in improv, there's never a problem. Ah. Okay. So when you look at when you look at life, yeah. When you look at life that way, then you can. And and it's interesting. I, I mean, I don't know how personal we can get in here. Holly and I are both half Jewish. Um, and so what we can get as personal as you'd like, it's, it's, (laughs) uh, what we have found is that, uh, and I have a lovely Jewish mother who likes to find problems so that she can be the, the solution. And Uh so that's where, you know, so she keeps looking for problems so that, so to find worth. Um, and I come from a place of being an improviser now for over, you know, 20 some odd years of it's not, there's not a problem. So let's figure it out. You know? Yeah. I I don't know if it's just a Jewish thing because my mother's Greek and I, (laughs) I I often think that she looks for the, she's always looked for the problem and, and I'm kind of like, well, how do we fix it? It's not really a problem. What, What can we do about this? How can we? Get past yeah, I mean, it, so. it could be a generational thing too. Generational, because yeah. the, the Gen Zs don't have any problems, except for they don't have a job now because <laughs> they don't work. have a job. And right, and they're and they're they're at the in their young lives, they're they're they can't go sit at a bar either. <laughs> no, I, I so, wanted to tell you my uh, my martini for this is coffee. 
<laughs> uh, I'm sipping I'm ha- I'm water. It's coffee. too early. It's too early in the day. And um, <laughs> but I'm thinking about one. I'm thinking about one for later. I'm thinking actually a properly prepared one though. I I still say I can't really do it myself. Maybe as I learn to podcast, I'll learn how to make a better martini for myself. <laughs> so so um. But this, but the thing uh, that I really loved um, learning from Im- about improv from you, because um, eventually you coerced me into taking a class, I and did. you've come into my classes to help them out. It's not just for would-be actors, and I, I guess I think of improv more so with the comedians, but I know it's not just the comedians who have used it. What what is there for us to learn as just you know ordinary individual? Not I shouldn't use that word ordinary because none of us are ordinary, but just. <laughs> this is going to be quite (laughs) yes exactly um so what what is there what is there that we would get benefit like what absolutely is going to help me our motto at improvolution is improv for everyone um and what the when viola started teaching um it didn't take its comic bend until her son made a theater company out of it. And its lessons are still about collaboration and about co-creation and communication and all the C words. And of course, teamwork. Um, I The one thing that I say right off the bat with all my students is your most important job when you get on stage with someone is to make your partner look great. Like that's Mm. your job and their job is to make you look great. That's their one job. And of course I teach all the tools to help you do that. And there's probably more, uh, I, I'm trying to change the, the word rules to guidelines because rules sound so uh, stringent, uh, though I am a Virgo and I like stringency. Um, so the guy, there's many, many, many guidelines to improv, And once you start learning how to improvise, it's just rote then. It's just there. And so there's many ways to make your partner look good. And I teach you how to do that because then you're not thinking about yourself. And when you're co-creating, you want to be in that space, that fluid space of what we call yes and. And the yes and is you say yes to what is ever offered to you. And then you add on to it and you add, you know, I think this is what I really like about your presentation. If we're talking to uh, some sort of corporate setting or your, you know, your idea, and this is how I think we could improve upon it as opposed to what we hear a lot. And this is in everyone's vernacular. Yes, but, and I always have my uh, students raise their hand. Have you ever heard a family member, a friend, or a coworker, or yourself say yes, but? And if no, if they don't raise their hand, I say you're lying because it's just there. And what that does, what yes, but does is we talk a lot about in improv rhythm and it breaks the rhythm. And I always say you want to get on the rhythm train and you want to be on the same rhythm train as all your partners. And when you say yes, but you're breaking the rhythm and it kind of like hits you in the knees. And uh, one of the things as an outside lesson for everyone is replace it. Replace yes, but with yes and. See where you go with it then. It's just that simple of not hearing the but. Because it really does hit you. And it's like, oh, everything that I just said, they don't agree with. 
Well, because they say, yeah, you know, it, it stifles creativity. Absolutely. If someone starts saying yes, but, and then gives you, you know, 19 different ways why something's not going to work, you start (laughs) to, (laughs) what you do, you start, I mean, for myself, eventually, you know, I'm not even going to offer anything because I don't know where to go with it. doesn't matter what I say. You're going to give me some reason that it's not, I think that's what it does. That's what it does for me. Yes. When we go into corporate settings, which we have a, we have a, a great corporate teaching at Improvolution. And what we say is you want to have as many ideas as possible out there so that you can cherry pick. And if people feel stifled or judged, they're going to refuse to give you ideas because they're living in a space of fear where their ideas are not respected. If you get as if you live in that yes and space of oh yes this and then this and then C and then D right you don't have to take all of the ideas but they're out there whereas if you live in a yes but um, uh, corporate setting where your ideas are not respected you're just not going to give them so you're not your your higher ups your executives are not going to have the choices that you could have if you foster a yes and space. Yeah, that's it. So I know you, um, you, you do a lot of classes and we'll talk mm-hmm. about that in a minute, how you've converted them to zoom classes out in New York for just anybody to sign up and say, Hey, worldwide. this is what we're going to do tonight. Worldwide, worldwide. Okay. There you yes. go. I did. Right, <laughs> now we have zoom. So, um, you can zoom in, uh, but you also do a lot of work with corporations. Why do you think that that's been happening? The corporations are looking, smart corporations are looking to include this in their repertoire. Well, it's interesting. I was just talking. To, oh, um, I was just talking to. I got a message. Sorry. Uh, I thought that everything was turned off. Uh, ask the question again. Why do you think that corporations are are starting to, as I said, smart corporations are using this or wanting or have a need for incorporating Improvolution into their trainings with their with their employees? Oh, uh, so I was talking to a woman whom I'm going to collaborate with on a class from she's lives in Liverpool and she owns her own improv school over there. And she was saying that the corporate in America is way ahead of the corporate improv in it being accepted is way ahead of, um, uh, uh, England, which I was, I was very surprised at. So Me too. yeah. Right. I just I don't know. You you smack you slap a British accent on somebody, and you just think they're smarter and faster and funnier. Uh, so, what what it what corporations love about us is the ability to um, communicate at a higher level more. Uh, more quickly, uh, more efficiently. Uh, improv is its own language. And if you start fostering this language of yes and, where you're listening without an agenda, you are pivoting, uh, you know, without baggage. And what I mean by that is you can be grudgingly say, okay, I'll do what you want to do, but I wanted to do this. You're like, okay, let's do this. And this is how I think we can improve it. And let's go that. And so then you pivot with this space of movement, this, this fluidity and businesses want to be more efficient. 
like uh, corporations want to be more efficient and improv lends itself to that improv lends itself to uh, the one of the biggest things of when you improvise is eye contact hmm. and we pra- we practice eye contact because people tend to not connect and it's the i always say the answers in your partner's eyes because well, people- and i think i think it's a problem more so today than it's ever been because we walk around with our, our eyes down in our phones. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It, it's true though. I mean, I, I keep thinking maybe the pandemic is going to make that go away and people are going to look up a little bit more, but I see it all the time. You know, I see someone with a mask on trying to bump into me with, with, with a head down. So I think it's, I, and I see it with a lot of my students where making eye contact does not come as naturally as it does. Certainly to me, I look to make eye contact with someone. And it's, I mean, exactly. And I mean, I think it's in New important. York, I think it's, I think it's important to establish connection and it makes, it makes communication so much easier when you're connecting on that level. And it's, it's a simple thing. It's a simple thing of, I, what I always say is the first thing that you do when you come on stage with a partner is you look at them in the eyes and what you're saying to them without any words is I've got your back mm. because the next thing that we do, neither one of us know because this is all unscripted. So when you share eye contact, you're like, I've got your back. Well, I've got yours too. And then you speak. You know, and then you're, you know, I always say there's, uh, we play a lot of games and people tend, and these are nonverbal games and they'll tend to start tensing up and I'll be like, did you stop breathing? And people will raise (laughs) their hands and I'll say, well, uh, improvisers must breathe. And as humans, it's essential. So I'll say, soften your, soften your knees, right. And take a breath and just look at your partner right? Just share eye contact. And it's these simple things that just as adults, I mean, kids don't have any problem with this. Mm-hmm. Um, but we, I think that we start forgetting at age six. So we that's do another start, thing. And that society, impro- society helps us to start forgetting because we start comparing ourselves to each, to other people instead of comparing ourselves just with ourselves. I think that's yeah. part of it. I remember having this giant aha moment when I took that first class and we were doing that exercise in the story where you have one word and keep on going around in the circle. Uh-huh. And I found myself so frustrated because I didn't like what the people after me were saying. <laughs> It was like, why are you saying that? Like, that's not where I want this story to go. Cause I already, I said one word and I had, you know, I had a whole story of how this should go and it wasn't working like that. And then I was like, oh my God, Joanne, you're trying to control the storyline. You know, what yeah. a life lesson. What yeah. a life lesson. I, found I always <laughs> say when that happens, I'll say, awesome. You have this story, go home, go write it email it to us and we're going to enjoy it. It's not the story that's happening right now because who's responsible for this story is however many people are in the, the class. So if there's seven people, there's seven parts and you are, you're giving one seventh, but that one seventh is still so valuable. Yeah. So. I think the other thing that I really like about improv in a business situation, and it's one of the reasons that I always try and 
see if your schedule is going to match up with, especially with my real world class. Well, because they're, that whole, the real world class, we're working with a real company, so they have to do a presentation. Yes. And this ability to think on your feet is something that can be learned, but it doesn't seem to come naturally. And I think it's, again, not to sound generational, but I think it's more challenging for younger people because so much is being done for them via some sort of technology. So to actually think on your feet and that idea of having, listening to what your partner is saying, how they're answering the question of the client so that you can jump in and add in with them. I think that's just, I think it's so key. And it's just something that is, again, is in need of learning. So I might disagree with you a little bit, but that's, I have this. Okay. So my, uh, my, well, the boyfriend that got me into improv is still one of my best friends. And, um, he is, uh, the head of HR for a a lot of places. So I won't mention those now, but he works with a lot of millennials and doesn't like them. And I work with millennials and Gen Z at Pace University, and I call them my love sponges because oh, I love I love my millennials. I love my millennials. They're they're amazing, and I think the thing about actors, though, is that's who I'm working with: actors and musical theater performers and um, singers at Pace University, not at my Improvolution school. School, but. As an actor, you know you're replaceable and you find that out very early on in your career. Like, you know, they always used to say dancers are a dime a dozen. And so you know that you can be replaced. And so therefore, like every every job I ever got, I remember I was a um, proofreader for a law firm in my 20s in New York and they wanted to hire me full time and because because it I was like, what's next? give me something new. Like I want to prove myself. And every temp job I had, they wanted to hire me full time. I was like, no freaking way. I'm not going to get into, I never got into a corporate setting because I knew that that would be such a killjoy for me. I'm an actor. I'm an actor. I'm just doing this to pay the rent. Don't you understand? (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And so I think that we just come from a different mentality that I don't run into that situation of it being done for them. They do everything. No, no, no. I don't mean that. I mean that ability to think on their on their feet um, right in the moment. Like something is, how are we going to work this through? I think it's something that is, um, it does, it, it, it's challenging. It's challenging. And I think it's a really important yeah. skill. I think it's a very important skill in, in a business, especially in a business situation, in life in general, really. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I don't, I I wouldn't know how to peg a certain type, you know, people are people. So I'm not exactly, I don't know. I don't know about that because I, at any age group, I'll run into people who it comes easier to and people it is challenging for. Mm, I'll take that. I'll take that. Um, so it's also, what do I have here? It's also about not all these questions I have for you today. And I could talk to you for forever, but. Me too. You know, I love you. I know. So <laughs> feeling is mutual. It's, it's not, it's also uh, uh, this business about not fearing the unknown um, is such a part of, at least, you know, what, from stuff that I've read about what happens when you're doing improv. 
which is where the world is right now. Is, is there yeah. an exercise that we can practice to help us? Because I think we're all in this place of just like, wow, like, I don't know when this is done. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, I, oh, um, I don't know when this is done. I don't know when this part is over. And some days I personally can relax into it. And other days I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like in the, the, the fear. Is there any improv exercise? Or do we I just think- need to sign up for one of your classes? <laughs> yes, and uh, <laughs> both. I think I can give you both. So I'm going to say a little story first. I uh, was initially, just like everyone else, um, I think because I was so much in my rhythm of, I teach, you know, we we have our different sections of classes. So we'll have fall winter, and then we'll do spring, summer, right? And so that, of course, got interrupted um, right in the midst of our winter. And um, I have a really great team, mostly woman run. So uh, there's that. Um, But great men as well in there. And uh, at first, I dug my heels in. And I was like, there's, because improv, there's so much that, I mean, this was worldwide that this experience happened with improvisers and improvising teachers. We were like, this can't be done online. Are you kidding me? What? No, absolutely not. And that is completely against what an improviser is supposed to do. We're we're supposed to say, yeah, it's not a problem. Let's figure it out. Um, So I, 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 it was about a week that was in March, like late February, early March, where New York was starting to get shut down. And like all of my pace classes, we were supposed to be gone for like two weeks and then come back. And um, so, so much for that. <laughs> yeah, hello, six months later. Um, and so I, uh, I stuck my heels in. And then I thought, I was like, oh, wait, hold on. I was like, I'm an improviser. If there's anyone that's going to pivot, it has to be me. I run a school of improv. You need to figure this out. And so I got my team on a Zoom call. I bought myself a Zoom uh, uh, membership and I I got got my team on and I was like, let's figure this out. And we started out with the happiness hour, which was, uh, it was an title. I know it was great. I've honestly bought the URL. Good. Um, uh, smart marketing. (laughs) (laughs) It was the happiness hour and it was a donation based, uh, hour long improv that we could, it was like half an hour of improv and half an hour of talking right? Just chatting and everything was themed. Like we had a week of superheroes, a week of cereal, a week of, uh, uh, vacations and everything was, all of the games were based around that theme. And all of my teachers got on and any of the donations that were made, I paid to my teachers because a lot of my teachers are restaurant workers. A lot of them are, uh, in the musical theater business and or acting business. And so I needed something to help support them in this moment. And my community came through. They were amazing. And one of the biggest things that was said, and I'm still remembering that I need to give you a game. One of the biggest (laughs) things that was said uh, was 
by one of my teachers where she teaches, uh, I have teachers who teach kids, um, other places. And, uh, this, I mean, our school is for adults mainly, but she said, we Improvolution was so far ahead of everyone else on how we just communicated more efficiently because of improv on zoom. There you go. You were able to put the pedal to the metal, so to speak, right? You yeah. got to take everything that you teach and put it into real life action. Yeah, absolutely. So the the game that keeps coming up for me is, uh, and you and I can play it for a round, even on here. Like, uh, Uh-oh. yeah, I'm putting you on the spot. Um, it's called Last Letter, Last Sound. And uh, what's how the game works is I say a word and if I were to say the word something like kite, what's the last letter in kite? E. E. What's the last sound in kite? Yeah. E. <laughs> no, T. <laughs> there's a okay. there's a silent there's a silent e right or i had a smart ass go it one time so then you could say a word like electricity which starts with e or telephone or item right it mm-hmm. um so it's last letter last sound so if i were to say the word couch to you what's the last letter in couch h h what's the last sound in couch Right. So then you could, yes. So then you could say something like house or chair. I was going to say checkers. Exactly. Yeah. That's a great. Checkers came in me. I don't know why I haven't played checkers in years, but. But that's the word that came out. Right. Mm -hmm. And because you're listening. Right. And so um, uh, let's play this round and then I'll explain why it works. Okay. Why this is a good game for you. Uh, so I'll start. And we always give love, which is a lot of applause. So we're going to applaud ourselves, the two of us right now. Woo! Um, all right. Uh, bag. Bag. Gee. Gorilla. <laughs> Apple. Elevated. Dinosaur. Orange. Gargantuan. Inside. Yay! Exactly. So that's called last letter, last sound. The reason why you get you didn't tell me you were going to do this. You definitely put me on the spot, Rebecca. You did a great job. You did fantastically. Um, So you people spell differently right? Sometimes people spell phonetically. I'm more of a phonetic speller. Um, or people can, can see the word, right? So they'll see the silent E. And there's a lot, the other name of this game is called Elephant because Elephant, no matter what, I don't even have to say, have to say the name of the game is Elephant. Elephant will come out. And Elephant's like a random word, but it always comes out. And that's the name of the game other than last letter, last sound. So I had um, breast cancer and I had a lot of MRIs going into um, finding out like everything that was going on with my body. And so I would have to be in the MRI machine. I would play this game with myself in my head. Wow. For an hour. Just like going word to word to word to word. And what it does is it gets you in a rhythm. It calms you down. Once you start learning how to do it, improv is like spinning plates. So you spin one 
And then that you, once you start spinning the second one, the first one, the first lesson or the first plate starts to wobble. So you have to respin that one, respin the second one, then you can put a third one up. So it's like juggling or spinning plates. So once you become rote with certain things, they become easier. And so what this game does, what Last Letter, Last Sound uh, does for you is it helps, it lets you breathe right? It connects you. Um, you can't really think because you don't know, even with yourself, you don't know what the next word's going to be, right? So you really have to listen. <laughs> it's true. Even with yourself. So a lot of these games we play in a group, but you can definitely play them by yourself. So that's my it's game. A great little, it's a great little trick. And you're healthy. You're yeah. in good shape right now, right? Physically, yes. <laughs> yes. Men- mentally, like the rest of us, um, it's yeah. they're, they're challenging times. And in your profile, you say you love to laugh. So I, I guess it is it. It's not is it as easy now or? Well, I have to say, improv saved me. The improv has saved me wow. throughout. Improv has absolutely saved me throughout. I remember getting on to another little story. Um, I was going to, I had just found out I had breast cancer and I was going, walking to the Dubin Center, which is basically 10 minutes from my front door, walking. So maybe 15. And the Dubin Center is this most amazing part of Mount Sinai. Amazing, amazing, amazing. And I was walking to the doctor after I had just found out it was the first time I was going to meet my oncologist. And I forgot, I was walking from my house to the hospital, forgot the name of my street that I live on. Just forgot it. It's called Adam Clayton Powell Jr. Boulevard, though it's a long name. It's also called Seventh Avenue. I knew it was Seventh <laughs> Avenue, but I was like, I can't remember what. And I got so freaked out that I stopped myself immediately. I said, soften your knees breathe. Still wasn't there. Soften your knees, take a breath, center. And then I was like, Adam Clayton Powell Jr. Boulevard. That's where I live. And then I moved on. Wow. What a and great improv story. Has, improv has saved me. Improv saved me through my cancer, which was two years ago now through two and a half and improv definitely saved me through this and laughter was a big part of it absolutely a huge huge part of uh my sanity i don't know what i would have done without my group that i have fostered um i my business partner holly calls me the manifester because i'll say i want that and i'll make it happen so um, I like that. I, I like that about you, Rebecca. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. This has been, this has just been terrific. I, I, I hope um, all of our listeners are enjoying this as much as I am enjoying speaking to you. How can people find you? Um, I know whether the CEO of a corporation, I should only hope is listening to this right now, or um, <laughs> just, <laughs> we're still in the early stages here. So I don't know who's where this is going to find its way to, um, or right. just um, someone who's living in New York right now, or for that matter, on the other side of the world, because you are international now via Zoom. Yes. Where can they find you with anything specific you want to talk about before we wrap up here, where can they find you online? How can they? Well, stay in I touch will with say, uh, I will say one. It's it's uh, our address is www.improvolution.org. and we will um, have all of that in the show notes. 
Yes. And uh, what has been fascinating through this, the silver lining is that I'm improvising with people in Indonesia. Now I'm improvising with people all over Europe, um, with people in India. Uh, Is India Indonesia? No, Indonesia is its own country. Um, It's (laughs) really, really fascinating that I get to play with all these people. And what is great about improv and improvisers, the lesson of yes and and being able to pivot um, without baggage is that the references that all of us have all over the world, we're all the same. And I do believe that we can move into a better place of communication. The one thing I did want to mention is, and I've told you this before, Joanne, is that I want to teach the Senate how to improvise because I'm very politically aware. And I've, this has been something I've wanted to do for you know, 12, 15 years. I've always said I wanted to do, because I love, I, because I lived in Europe and I've lived in other places, I love America. I love our our independence. I love being an American. Freedom is not free and you really have to work for it. Democracy is not a spectator sport. No, absolutely not. And I think improv is the language that we can all start speaking to each other because right now we're not speaking to each other. And I really believe that this third language, just like it's not your language, it's not this language, it's the third language, is someplace where we can collaborate with. I love that. I hope that somehow or other, maybe we'll just keep retweeting to every single person in the Senate until somebody actually listens to it. <laughs> That's an idea. It's an idea. It's it's a social media idea. Eventually, maybe somehow or other, it'll wind up in the right hands. I love that yeah. idea. They certainly need help. I think we all need help listening more, especially right now. I think it's so obvious we're not listening enough. Um, yeah. And that is it. And um, you're on Instagram, I believe. You have a lovely little account over there. For, it's on Improvolution. Is that right? It's Improvolution NYC. NYC. Yes. I'll have all of that in the show notes too. But Okay. But thank you so much, Rebecca. This has just been fantastic. Oh my gosh. Thank you. I wanted to leave you with a thought. The ability to yes and your life will afford you such great joys. Improv is life altering. So, and you know this. I know this, this perfect. I, you, even when you know something, sometimes you just hear the words and it, and it just kind of resonates right through your whole body again. Can you say that one more time? The ability to yes and your life will afford you such amazing joys and you'll find that improv is life altering. And we all could use a little bit of that right now. So on that note, well, see everyone next time. Thanks so much for listening to Marketing Mindfulness and Martinis. This show would not be possible without my incredible creative and production team, Nadi, Cherry, Anthony, and Wa. If you liked what you heard, please share with your friends. Give us a rating on iTunes or Spotify so other people can find us. And hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode. If you've got a question you'd like answered or a topic you'd like me to cover, please drop me a note info at joannetombrakis.com. And until next time, remember, whatever got you to where you are isn't enough to keep you there. <laughs>